Psalm 24. You can find that on page 555 of the Church Bibles. So that's Psalm 24 on page 555. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you announced that there is blessing for the pure in heart. And we pray that you would help us to understand that now. We thank you for your promise that that blessing is that we will see you. And with all that we are, we long for that. We long to know you and understand you more deeply and follow your ways more closely. And we pray that you would stir our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to tell you a story, it's a true one, uh, that is all about uh, what happens when something goes off and when it's no longer pure. We can have the first slide, uh, please. Uh, when I was uh, back in my, and next one off after that, thank you. Um, and yeah, that's great. When I was uh, in my previous church, we were running a holiday club. And about three weeks after the holiday club, persistent people went into the church office and said, there's just a funny smell in here. And we couldn't quite work out what it was. And through the week, every time anybody went in, the smell got stronger and a suspicion about there was something there going off, something had died, something was wrong. And, 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 but no one really paid much attention to it because we, we had a quick look, we couldn't see anything. And one day we were clearing up after our toddler group and I was there with Hannah, our children's worker, and Stacy, one of the helpers. And I thought, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And so I hunted up, down, all around the office. And the smell seemed to be emanating from a little child's lunchbox, which had been left on the floor. And as I got closer to the lunchbox, the smell definitely got stronger. And there was a child's name on it, and it was one of the children we'd had at the holiday club. So I thought, oh, I'm onto something here. And I, I peeled open the top 
of uh, the lunchbox, and suddenly the smell sort of quadrupled in strength. But there was, there was nothing there except a little bottle and a bag of crisps. I thought, there's no way the bag of crisps is making that smell, and it's probably just a bottle of water, one of those kids' sort of drink bottles. And so I called Hannah and Stacey, and I said, look, I think I've found what the smell is. It must be coming from one of these two things. And so they said, OK, let's open up the bottle, see what there is. And I, I sort of just took a couple of screws off the bottle. And even as I did it, I thought, this is a really bad idea. <laughs> and as I took off the lid, the whole room was just overwhelmed with something. It was like the elixir of a thousand nappies that had been left <laughs> uh, for a week. It was just, it was appalling. And it was, it was, a, it was a glass, it was a, it was a, a child's a bottle full of milk that had been left just under a month. And at this point, Hannah and Stacy, no kidding, they just ran. <laughs> they, they didn't stop, they just they ran out of there. And so, so I was left sort of holding this, this beaker of sort of toxic waste uh, that could have been used in modern germ warfare. And uh, I thought, well, what do I do with it? And so I sort of took it outside. I can't pour it down a, a, a drain in the church. And so I took it outside, and, and as I took it outside, they were running away from me in terror, and I managed to find a, a, a bush to hide it behind, and, and there it lay. Uh, and even though we washed the beaker in like boiling water about five times, still the whiff, the smell of that off milk uh, continued. And for me, it's all, it will always remain, I think, a very powerful picture of what happens when something that was pure and lovely now think about that. I don't really drink milk anymore, but think about that lovely experience that you have when you, when you drink milk, like nice and cold out of the fridge. Just how delicious and how fortifying that is. Uh, but because uh, it had got contaminated, because it had ceased to be pure milk and had essentially become sort of toxic waste, uh, it was no longer uh, fit uh, for anything at all. And I want you to bear in mind uh, that image as we uh, go through uh, tonight. So we could have the next slide, please. Uh, fantastic. What does that mean, Jack? <laughs> oh, that's that toxic. Go. And the next one again, please. That's great. <laughs> we are going to be thinking about uh, purity. Because uh, we're thinking about this uh, saying of Jesus in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We're going to try and see how those two match together. Now, you may know that in the Old Testament, purity had a number of uh, different meanings. And one of the primary meanings in the Old Testament was what you might call ceremonial or ritual. So there was rituals about food and what was clean and what wasn't clean. There were rituals about animals, which animals you could have and which animals you couldn't have, which animals you could eat, which animals you couldn't eat. There were lots of rules about washing and cleansing yourself before you appeared before God in the temple. Uh, there were uh, rules about priesthood. So, for instance, uh, if you were a descendant of Aaron, uh, the priest, then you were therefore a priest, even if you were a complete scumbag. Uh, reverse was true, that even if you were the holiest of holy and you were a person of prayer and mission and thoughtfulness and love for God, if you weren't a descendant of Aaron, it didn't matter. You couldn't be a priest. So there was that understanding of purity, uh, that it was all about the ceremonial and the ritual. There was another understanding about purity, uh, which is more what we heard from the Psalms, uh, and that was that it was moral 
and that it was spiritual. The pure in heart were not people who conformed to a particular way of living, but they were people who were right here. And the whole Hebrew understanding of us as people is that, in a sense, the center of who we are is seen in the heart rather than the mind. Not that the heart it does any more than sort of just churn our blood around our bodies, but they located the core of who we are and what we stood for in their heart. Whereas we might equally say it's our brain or our spirit or just who we are deep inside. And Jesus absolutely and definitely takes a side on whether the important thing about purity is outward purity, being clean, doing things right, washing the cup in the right way, or whether purity is about inner behavior and who we are. And he definitely comes and lands on this side. Jesus often confronting religious people about their hypocrisy and confronting them about how they can allow so many things to happen and yet they're actually not interested deep in their souls about the worship of God and loving God and other people. Uh, Jesus seemed actually not to care about ritual purity. So when a leper comes towards him, which would have made him unclean, instead of running away, as other rabbis would have done, in fact, some rabbis boasted that they carried some stones in their pockets so that if they were approached by a leper, they could throw stones at them uh, to get them out of the way because they wouldn't want to come into contact with them. Jesus, on the other hand, welcomes at the leper. He welcomed the outsider. He welcomed women in a society that was very patriarchal and really didn't give women much a chance to be involved in the worshipping life of the community. So he seems to be breaking down all these boundaries, uh, whereas uh, many people in his contemporary society were all about cleanliness being seen in what you did and how you behaved and how you conformed. Uh, next slide, uh, please. Uh, so what does Jesus uh, mean uh, by being pure in heart? Well, he doesn't mean uh, what you've got here. This is a ceremonial bath uh, that is outside uh, one of the temple areas in Jerusalem. And he doesn't mean that the pure in heart are those uh, who are really, really good at following lots of rules and being concerned about outside behavior. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so what does Jesus mean by purity of heart? He means this. Uh, so the, the word that we have in the Greek New Testament for pure here is the word katharos. And that means something that has nothing else mixed in it. So the, here we've got 100% uh, Spanish olive oil. If you can, I'm not sure if you can read the lower bit, but it says uh, it's made from 100% black olives. So there's nothing else. All the farmer's done is she's got a whole load of olives, and she's pressed them, and she's put them in a bottle. That's all that's happened. Nothing added, nothing taken away. So to be clean is to be pure in that sense of nothing else mixed in, nothing else tainting it. And so it was used of milk, which we know does go off. It was used of wine. It was used of silver. So if something was pure, it was unadulterated and had nothing else mixed in. So to be pure in heart was to have a heart that is untainted, that is single-minded. So it's not a heart that is 50% for God and 50% for me. 
Not even 60% for God and 40 for me and so on, but a heart that is 100% about the things of God. When I was in, uh, I was walking in northern Spain a couple of years ago and we stopped uh, at a, a bed and breakfast and in the bed and breakfast they had uh, the machine that if I had a spare £1,000, I would buy. It was literally my joy and my dream. It was about this big, like this, and at the top there was a basket of oranges, and the basket of oranges fed down a pipe to a sort of little crushy thing. And so you got your glass from the table, and you went up to the thing, and you put your glass in, and the oranges rolled down the pipe. Uh, they'd been, they were... They were already cold in this little basket up here, and they were they, literally in front of your eyes, they were squeeze, 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 and you saw the juice come out of the oranges and into your cup. And I must have gone back for about 10. I was just so happy to be drinking 100% freshly squeezed cold orange juice. That is the picture that Jesus gives here of those who are pure in heart. It's 100% our thoughts, our motives, our desires are genuine. They're the same all the way through. They're sincere. They are Christ-centered. Now, of course, if you're like me at this stage, you are thinking, at least quietly and privately, oh my goodness. If, if we know anything about ourselves over the last 100 years, it is that our hearts are not like that. They are cauldrons of mixed emotion, of darkness, of selfishness, of fear, of bitterness, of hurt. And so we, when we hear Jesus say there is blessing in being pure in heart, well, we think, well, that's a blessing I'm never going to have because I'm so far from being pure of heart. And of course, one of the reasons that Jesus says this beatitude is to move us to a self-examination and to be honest with ourselves and to look at our own hearts and recognize the dark places and recognize the things that have gone wrong and recognize the areas where we fear for God to come, the areas of addiction and fear and loathing and hatred and hurt. And one of the reasons I'm sure that Jesus says this, we have sung in truth that God will never let us down. But another truth that is equally strong and valid is that God in his love will allow us to see our hearts as they are. Will allow us to see the dark places and the places of fear. And he will bring us into the light. And he will cleanse us. So when we sing, God, you'll never let us down, it doesn't mean, God, you'll always be nice to us in a superficial way. Actually, it means that God in his grace will finger and point to at the places of hurt and fear. It also means, this beatitude, that we will be asking ourselves, do I want to be pure? And do I want to see God? Maybe you don't, really. Maybe in all honesty you say, I'm quite attached to my impurity. I like the, the, the secret things, the selfish things, the things that no one sees. They, they make my life better, we feel. And so this beatitude will be a challenge to you. Because Jesus says the blessing is for those who are pure in heart. That purity of heart comes in time with the gift of God. Of course, we remember that God doesn't wait 
until we are perfect before he comes to us. Think of Saul on the road to Damascus, going there to kill Christians. Jesus met with him there. One of the things that he saw was just how wrong he'd been and how many wrong turns he'd made. So it's not that God has to wait until somehow we've become lovely, nice people. We're only going to get to know him better and to see his ways more clearly if we will let him purify our hearts. We're going to go on in a moment as we finish to think about what it means to see God. But what we see, as I'm sure you'll understand, is not as simple as simply what is before us. What we see is deeply affected by who we are. So we're going to have the next slide, please. Now, who would you rather look at this beautiful night sky with? Would you rather look at it with me or with Brian Cox? On the whole, you probably you might be quite friendly and, and, and value my friendship, but on the whole, you want to look at that with Brian Cox. Because he would be telling you things about it that I have no idea about. Uh, next slide, please. Um, if you went to this uh, lovely tropical scene, somewhere a, a tropical forest somewhere, uh, would you rather be looking for food uh, with me or with Bear Grylls? You know, you, you're going to want to be with Bear because he will know what is poisonous, what you can eat, where it lives, what you can't eat. So Bear and I could look at exactly that same place and I'd think that's pretty and he'd think that's for dinner. So there is a difference. There is a difference, isn't there? Uh, what you see depends on who you are. Next uh, slide, please. If you'd had an MRI scan in a hospital because there was a problem, who would you rather look at the images on the screen? Would you rather I did it? Would you rather the specialist did it? We'd all rather the specialist. I could recognize what part of the body it is just, but I couldn't recognize anything else. You'd want somebody who knows about these things. The opposite, of course, is true. Uh, sometimes, and you may have had this experience, something really beautiful happens. Something that is profound and touching and poignant. And people reveal what's in their hearts because as they look at it, rather than being moved or seeing the beauty, they, they laugh or they snigger or they make jokes. And that reveals what is actually in our hearts. So, the pure in heart are those who are untainted in their hearts, single-minded, devoted, wanting the things of God. Seeing God, as Jesus says in the second half of the Beatitude, I don't think is a literal, physical vision of God, as though we will go outside and we will see the likeness of God. We read in Exodus when Moses is talking with God, uh, no human shall see me and live, uh, says God. We read in John 1.18, no one has seen God, says John at the start of his gospel. Although, of course, he's already said that, that although we can't see God, that because Jesus became flesh and became like us, he became uh, something, he, he became God as we can understand and see and taste and smell and understand. Rather, uh, we should follow what Moses says, where he said in Exodus 33, he said, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And that is what seeing God means. Seeing God, we have the next slide, please, uh, means having an increasing knowledge of God and an intimacy uh, with him 
Just as when you start a relationship, you're going from knowing a bit about somebody to actually knowing much more deeply who they are. It means a relationship with God where there's less guessing and more knowing. It means that we begin to share God's heart. Uh, We understand the world and other people as he sees the world and other people. Our daughter's uh, been going out with a guy uh, for a few months now. Uh, She's been brought up, I'm afraid, not my doing, in a house of Arsenal fans. Uh, which is very, very painful for me. Uh, but the guy she's going out with, who's amazing, called Daniel, uh, is a West Brom fan. And I came down yesterday, and there was Assie in a West Brom T-shirt. Uh, and, she, and she's nicked it from him, clearly. Uh, and it's now, because she's going out with him and loves him, that uh, she's changed allegiance. It's a terrible thing. I mean, it's better than Arsenal, but it's, it's okay. <laughs> As we get to know God more clearly, we get to see his heart and understand it so that as we become purer, so we care about the things that God cares about. We also know his presence. We know his presence in the stillness, the quiet of a morning as we just give our day to God in the the joy and the wonder of worship here. Those who are becoming pure in heart will see more of God. Jesus announced this is blessing, this is good news, uh, because it's not something that we work ourselves up to or achieve, but this is something he gives to the brokenhearted, and those who mourn for their sin, and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. That is his gift. As we think about our response, let me show you these uh, two cups of water. I prepared before the service. Sort of looking not totally dissimilar. This one, if I give it a little stir, this could go wrong, couldn't it? This one is full of yuch, really. Um, And many of us, when we hear the phrase pure in heart, we think, well, that's about how pure my heart is. And there's no way uh, we think that we'll ever receive this blessing. And we look at this glass here, pure Winchester tap water. And we think, it's never going to be me. My heart is so murky. and I'm so mixed. And even even the best things that I do, even the best of myself, is not even remotely close to this. Well, that is partly why Jesus made this beatitude and said it. So we have a longing inside us for Jesus to make us clean. And our understanding as Christians is that that is supremely what he did on the cross. So that all that rubbish, all that dirt, all that is horrible and off and toxic, Jesus took it on himself so that we could be clean. And so if your heart is stirred, then that's God's spirit working in you, wanting you to be cleansed from within. So let's do two things as we finish. Firstly, let's just have a moment as we honestly say to God that we know that our hearts are very mixed. And God, we ask you to come amongst us now and to show us by your Spirit in particular 
at those things which are dirty and rotten and off and stink and are toxic. Lord, please don't hold back. Please show us those things in ourselves. We don't want to see it in others. We just want to see it in ourselves. And Lord, please show us those ways in which we are hiding from the light. And Lord, please probe our hearts that we would see how selfish and mixed our motives often are. But we thank you that you do that because you love us and because you have always and already made provision for our forgiveness. And maybe that's at the area of prayer that you need to focus on tonight, that recognition of what is going on in your own heart. The second area you might want to consider is those, that amazing phrase that Moses uses where he says, now show me your glory. And maybe your heart leaps at that and leaps at the thought that there is a promise that we can see God. It will one day be fulfilled when we die or Jesus comes again. But your heart leaps at the joy and at the promise that you can know God and share his heart. So maybe you should just focus your praying on, Lord, show me your glory. And for the rest of our time tonight, we're going to sing again in a moment, uh, but there will be people uh, over here offering prayer ministry. If you want to come and pray about any of those things or other things that have really sense you've, you've come already uh, on your hearts, then as we're singing, do please make your way over here. There'll be the chance uh, to pray with people.